Welcome to Transformation Simulation, the podcast about agile transformations and personal transformations. Here are your hosts, fraternal agile twins, only separated by four months, 100 pounds, meat consumption, and different parents, Alicia Yannick and Nathan Chawilawu Ashe. Well, we're looking at the second sprint, right? So they got the team has one sprint under their belt. We saw a little forming and storming. We saw some tension around some of the ceremonies, particularly stand up. They're kind of saying to each other, how the heck are we going to make this work? Why the heck did we pick this? <laughs> this right. is different. Um, so they're button up against it. It sounded good on paper. In theory, this was good. But the reality is a little, little different than we thought, maybe a little harder yeah. than we thought. But they got through it, and now we're heading into Sprint 2, yes? Sprint 2. And we have some things that are hidden, things that are secretive, (laughs) um, that stand to impact the team being able to deliver in Sprint 2. So let's take a listen and see what happens. I'm game. The situation develops where one team member is unable to deliver all their work. During stand-up, this team member does not have any movement or progress on the work they committed. Scrum Master schedules a one-to-one with the team member and discovers that her manager and another senior leader have assigned her top secret, high-profile work. The team ultimately holds the team member accountable to the working agreement. The Scrum Master and the team hold management and leadership accountable to Scrum values. Ultimately, the team misses its commitment to Sprint 2 because of the situation with the manager and leader. Good morning, team. Morning. Everyone ready for stand-up? Coffee in hand, ready to go. Sure, let's get this party started. Sure, let's get the plan for the day going. Let me walk the board. I finished up task 102 and pulled over 103, but had a bit of a tough time getting that one completed yesterday. Did some problem solving with QA. Thanks for taking some time to work with me on that. And I'm ready to go with 103 today. It has six hours remaining. And I'd say it'll likely take me all day to wrap up the work. If I run against any impediments, can I reach back out? Sure, of course. All right. As Devlin mentioned, I worked with her on 103 and also wrapped up 104 and 105. Today, I'm planning on 105 and if I can, 106. But that depends upon if Dev needs more help with 103. Either way, I'm making the progress I expect to be making. All good on the impediments front. In that, I don't see anything in the way of me getting my work done today. I don't have much to report that is different from yesterday. I wasn't able to complete 101, and I think it might take me a few more days of effort. Dev Chu, what would you say is in the way of you completing the task? Oh, um, I just have a little something to wrap up that won't take me long, but has been on my plate for a bit. If memory serves, that was the same plan you had yesterday and maybe the day before. Is that work on our board? No, I don't think it is, but it really shouldn't take me very long. And then I'll be able to work on tasks we agreed to do as a team during planning for this sprint. Why don't you and I meet really quickly after the stand-up? My scrummy sense tells me there's some work going on here that wasn't committed to by the team. All righty, folks. Any parking lot items we need to discuss? Any impediments that are in the way that we should chat about? 
Nope. Ready to go for the day. But I would love to talk about the outcome of the discussion you're having with Dev2. If there's work being done, I'm wondering how it will be tested and released. Scrum Master and Dev2 have a one-on-one -on -one in a conference room. This extra work really isn't a big deal. Our manager and the VP assigned me a side project that is super important. I can't talk about the details, but it's high profile and there's a lot of interest from senior leaders. I was told this could lead to a big breakthrough for the company's bottom line. I bet it felt important for you to say yes to that request for your time. I'm looking at how that work is impacting our sprint. And judging by our burn down, it's looking like we aren't going to make it. We considered our capacity when we forecasted the amount of work we could complete as a team. I know, I know, but there was no way I could say no to the request. Are you sure about that? We have a team agreement that says none of us will accept work, which we don't collectively agree to, because what affects one of us affects all of us. We can't succeed unless we focus on shared goals and shared work. Otherwise, our sprints would just fall apart because we are counting on one another. What do you expect me to do? Say no to executive level requests? What I would hope is that you would take these requests to the team. That way, figure out how we're going to get the work done. The additional requests for work and the solution is transparent. What happens if you release this code into the build and something breaks? No one knows about the work, the solution, or how to troubleshoot or problem solve. And we're now in jeopardy of not finishing our sprint. One of the tenets of the team agreement is that we'll discuss any work requests which come at us for outside of our sprint ceremonies. We need to bring this up tomorrow as the parking lot item after stand-up. I get that we made the agreement, but none of them had executive pressure to be involved. While you were the one asked to do the work, they are now all pressure because of your decision to say yes. Okay, okay, let's take it to the team. I'm just going to say that we can't back out now. Scrum Master and Dave to return to the team. Hey team, can we have an impromptu parking lot? Or would you rather wait until after stand-up tomorrow? Could this impact the daily plan we just put together? I think it could, yes. All right, let's time box this discussion for 15 minutes, Max. Here's the thing. I was asked by management and senior level execs to do a side project. It's high profile and on the side, I already said yes. I don't see what we can do about it now. That's not cool. For starters, it's not cool that you were asked to do work on top of your sprint work, and I wish you hadn't said yes. By doing so, you reinforce bad habits for management. I get why you did it, but you kicked our team agreement to the curb. And now I don't see how we can finish the sprint work, which we're all accountable for. What should I have done? What would you have done? I wouldn't have said yes, even though that might have been my first reaction. I really think we need to go back to management as a team and tell them that if this work is more important than our sprints work, we can quit the sprint and replan with this work at the top of the backlog. Or we can stop work on this side project and focus on the sprint. Either way, I don't see how we're going to meet our sprint goal. Let's pull up our burndown chart and see if it's possible to meet our sprint goal. Looking at the burndown? I don't see a way to meet the goal. I think we're sunk. Man, I hadn't been looking at the burndown during our sprint because I was so focused on the side project, but there's no way we're going to make our goal. Even if I focus the remaining sprint time on the tasks on the board. All right, team, what are our options? I got us into this mess. Maybe I should be the one to go back to management to tell them we aren't going to make our goal. Scrum Master, can you come with me for support? 
I don't see this message going over very well. This is a chance for us to point out that if we do what we've always done, we aren't going to have a better result. And we were asked to deliver a different result. Scrum Master, how can we get management to understand that the way we're working is different in order to deliver a different and better result? What are we taught with management about Scrum values? Values shape behaviors. If they buy into values, their behavior will follow. Commitment, courage, focus, openness, and respect. Those values? Exactly. If we'd practiced openness, this side project would have gone through the normal prioritization process. And if we'd been respectful of our process and focused on the sprint work, we would have remained committed to our sprint goals. Dev 2, courage would have been where you would have said no to the request. Of course, I'll go with you to talk to management and I'll have a question for the team. As noted, it doesn't look like we're going to make a sprint goal. What do you want to do about that? And we're back. And we're out. Yep, we're back. That was a, that was a long episode. Who wrote that? <laughs> it's really long. Someone was long, not long-winded, what? I was going to say long fingered. I don't know. Yeah, long fingered. I don't know. Holy smokes. But, you know, that episode was detailed. It was thorough. There was um, a lot of good stuff that happened in there. I mean, that was some professional writing um, style there. That was a lot of skill. I like this episode. This is great. I like it. And not just because I wrote it, but I do particularly like it because I wrote it. But some of the episodes I wrote, I don't like. So it's not as though, hey, I wrote it. So I like it. Why do you like it? It illustrates something that commonly happens on scrum teams. Mm -hmm. One is that someone on a scrum team usually you have to ask the questions, but usually has some other project they're working on Mm -hmm. that they don't want anyone to know about. Or task. Yep, or, or task. Or just something, right? Just yep. something. Mm-hmm. And the other reason I like it is because of the Scrum Master's really proactive approach to help bring transparency to it and help resolve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it because this was real. This this scenario or some semblance of this scenario has happened at almost every job I've had, either as a scrum master or as a coach. So this this was absolutely rewritten to protect the innocent. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but man, this has happened to every place that I've been. And I think there's a couple things at play. One is it's hard for us to figure out as a team how to say no to things that we're used to saying yes to, how to say no to executives. And it's really a no and, or what do they say you're supposed to say? Yes. And, but this isn't a yes. And this is a no and meaning no. And the reason I can't do that is then we can't meet the goal that you want us to meet. Then we can't meet the goal that we committed to as a team. So I don't know. I probably just really twisted no. Yes. And into no, you're not supposed it. to say yes, but right. But it's no right. end. Anyway, edit some of that crap out because that was a mess. But I'm not um, that good. Hmm? I'm not that good at editing. In- we'll figure it out. Get better. Okay, um, I'll try. There's always room for improvement, Nathan. <laughs> but but the other thing that I liked about it is that the developer who said yes eventually had to go back to the team and say, this is up. 
Yeah. And the team was disgruntled because no team's going to say, oh, well, we understand why you did that. And you put all of our commitments and goal in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. But the team said, well, let's figure out what we should do about it. Now, not not always does that happen in real life. That might be the little fiction part. But usually the team will rally around it and say, OK, we get it. But now what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, and so when everyone kind of airs their grievances a smidge, then it's, well, what's what do we do about this situation that's in front of us? Not how do we play the bling game about this situation that's in front of us? And I like in particular that the scrum master had a one-on-one with the team member, because sometimes you need that one-on-one time to say what's up. I like that the scrum master sniffed out something was going on that wasn't really up on the up and up. And I like that they went back to the person who requested it, someone in executive leadership and said, we need to tell you the consequences of what you asked us to do. Because I had two... I had two CEOs I worked for when I worked at startups and they just churned out ideas, probably sometimes 10 or 12 a day. I'd get an email after leaving work at the end of a day by the next morning. And it was 12 things that they, and I kid you not that they wanted the team to start working on right away. And, and my brain just swiveled. And then I went, well, wait a minute, we got to go talk about what happens to the work that you asked us to do at the beginning of this, this sprint cycle. And it was an education for this, for the CEO, they were entrepreneurs, both of them. So they couldn't help, but crank out the ideas. And I had to give them a place to put them, but boy, was it really hard for them not to feel like if we started on it, then we'd have action and action equals some result. Never mind that 50 things were started on at the same time and you couldn't get any of it finished. Yeah. What'd you give them to, to, place their ideas you give them a kanban board or something no no i didn't and and the reason why was they still needed that high touch so they Uh, weren't ready nathan to trust that a kanban board or a backlog would work and so what i did was i gave them me as the i was the dev manager and the coach again kids don't do that in real life but what i did was said when you have ideas send them my way And let's talk about if they're more or less important than the other things that you'd asked us to do, because they had quickly lost sight of the other things they'd asked us to do. And then I just had one-on-ones where essentially we just prioritized, sometimes three times a week. And it was, hey, I can interrupt our sprint, but here's the consequence. Here's what won't get delivered. Here's the commitments that we've made, usually to external customers around those deliveries. So it was more about having the conversation to help them walk through. That's true moving through how moving from one thing to another would actually do the opposite of what they wanted, which means 16 things were in flight and nothing would ever land. Yeah. I think with, I think that's a, that's a great approach. Um, you know, I, I think with a lot of leaders, CEOs or whoever is responsible for coming up with these ideas and, you know, handing them off, you know, they, they have this kind of invisible hand approach uh-huh. where they come up with the idea, they have a team or a couple of teams assigned to them and um, they don't have the real reality of what those teams can handle versus what they're already responsible for. They just think, oh, let's just throw it all in the pot. We'll stir it up and we'll get some progress, like you said, somewhere. But it's really um, having a really negative effect on the team and also uh, and from a work perspective, but also on the morale of mm-hmm. the team and everyone who's experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because the team felt like they couldn't deliver. Yep. And 
interestingly, even teams that aren't very mature or high performing still have an innate drive to deliver. And I think that's what we see in episode eight, too, is our team here is a little fussed that they're not going to be able to deliver on their second sprint because of something that was imposed upon them from outside and that maybe they had an opportunity to say no and they didn't take that opportunity. And I, I think that's a good that's probably something, a, a seed for us to plant for folks who are learning from our podcast is that it, this is not a very mature team when it comes to Scrum. We're talking about Sprint 2, but they, even in their immaturity, are wired to want to deliver. They're yep. wired to want to meet their commitment. Well, if we remember from Sprint 1, I believe the team delivered 62.5% of the stories they took in. And so the the team, this sprint is really focused on hitting their goal. Mm -hmm. And then this situation develops where Dev is working this secret project. It just limits them from having that feeling and actually attaining the goal that they set for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's pretty tough. It feels like they've actually been cheated from the inside from the inside out mm-hmm. you know it's not the it's not the product owner coming delivering a whole bunch of work saying we need this extra stuff or the CD, mm-hmm. CEO or someone actually coming and saying I need this extra stuff now this is higher priorities it's like they're it's like one of their own is doing it to them mm-hmm. yeah. I'd like to point out that it's not unusual for scrum teams not to meet their sprint goals in sprint one or two yeah that, that that's something that's worth knowing and that's something that's worth accepting too it takes a bit to know what you can do. And look at all these things that are affecting their ability to be able to meet their sprinkle. And these are real things that have them in companies. We aren't, Nathan, we didn't pull this together based on, well, I wonder if this happens or maybe sometime this happens. This right. is just what we've experienced, both of us. How, how long do you think it takes for a team to really be able to, to meet their sprint goal? Well, I feel like you asked me that question before, and I'm not going to remember what I said last time. So we'll see if this matches up later on when we listen to it. But for me, it's usually sprint three or four is where it happens. They might get real close in three. They might make it happen in three. By four, their sea legs are underneath them, and they've they've got some momentum. That's where I like to see it is between that sprint three or four. I'm with you there. I, I actually would like to see it in sprint three or four, but I look for them to have it figured out by sprint six. Okay. And that doesn't mean that, I guess I should append that. That doesn't mean that no work is delivered. It just means that meeting your sprint goal, understanding your capacity, understanding as a, as a team how to work in this new way, that does not happen until, I guess I'm not as nice a coach as you are, until sprint three or four, and then you say you look forward around five or six. Yeah, well, well, you might I, be more patient than I. Well, I don't know. I just I, I'll give them a full quarter. Right. If if I mean, in sprint three or four, they should get an idea of it. I, right. I don't think they can fine tune it and own it for 12 weeks. And if you're talking, also talking about predictable. Yes. Not that they don't finish some of their stories, not that they don't have something to, to show it off during the review or the demo, but you're saying where they're really in a predictable pattern. Right. That even means bad predictability. Let's say after, you know, sprint. What six, do you mean by that? Well, let's say they, they're only able to ever deliver 77%. Okay. So let's, and that's, you know, that's not good predictability. Um, that means they're overestimating what their actual capacity is or whatever. Or it could mean there's a lot of other stuff 
happening right. in the company that's affecting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by sprint six, week 12, they should figure out what is preventing them from being completely predictable. Mm-hmm. Now, meeting the sprint goal, yeah, sprint three, four, they should be able to figure that out. They should be able to um, to figure that out by then. I was going to say, they should be able to figure out either how to sandbag or... <laughs> Nathan, we don't coach to that. What is wrong with you? I know, I know. I feel like um, I have to tell people to ignore that you said that. You, you might, you, you do need We to might need to beat that, that out. We're yeah. going to beat that out. I think I need you to coach me there. You need me to coach you, period. <laughs> but, you, you know, my, my sprint three or four, they should figure that out. Right. But I so mean, let's I, stop on that point. So you said by yeah. sprint three or four, they should figure it out. So what are some tools that you've offered teams to help them figure it out? Well, they want to look at their previous performance and use that data as a trend to really show what's what they're capable of. Mm. So, for example, if uh, we'll keep everything in round numbers, let's just say they have 10 stories and each story is worth uh five points, 50 points. So if they always take in these 10 stories at 50 points, but they only ever finish eight stories for what's that 40 points, their true capacity, they're trying to do, you know, two more stories or 10 more story points than they're really capable of doing. So their true capacity is about 40. But if they focus there, they would probably increase that by one story point because it would take away some of the wasted time and effort of trying to get these other uh, two stories in there. They wouldn't have less context switching and so forth. They'd be more focused. So if they were to reduce, just not even take them in, be honest at 40, they could probably raise their capacity by five story points. Hmm. That's usually what I've seen in the way I coach it. But teams, they feel this urgent, this need to try to take in as much work as possible Mm -hmm. and hope that they get the majority of it done. Or continue to increase the story points that they take in sprint over sprint. Right. Right. So it's kind of like they just want to they want to one up their personal best or their team best every right. single time as opposed to building the muscle a little bit. Two two things that go along with what you say. One is that I firmly believe all work needs to be represented on your board, your exactly. Kanban board, your scrum board, your virtual board, your whatever board, all work needs to be represented on the board. And the reason for that is you got to track what you're actually doing. So I had a team that could not figure out why they couldn't meet their sprinkles. And it was they'd been together for a while. They'd met some sprinkles and then it's just they kind of bottomed out and they couldn't meet their sprinkles. They weren't finishing their stories. And so we had stopped tracking interjections because we thought we had it figured out and we knew where most of the interjections were coming from. And so we restarted tracking interjections and we tracked them. I think we were using JIRA. We tracked them in JIRA and we appended it with interjection or something. And it turned out that the team was either being interjected upon or interjecting upon themselves to the extent that it was half of the volume of work that they had committed to doing. Wow. Half of the capacity. I don't know how you want to word it, but, yeah. um, and, and they had no idea and it was coming from all sides. And so what had happened was we got real diligent about holding interjections out and then we, we started to meet our sprint goals. And for whatever reason, we stopped developing that muscle and work was eking back in, which it does. Yeah. And, 
it was impacting the team in a really significant way. And they hadn't made the connection until we tracked it and everything was on the scrum board. Yeah. Someone's always trying to take the attention of the scrum team or certain members yeah. of the scrum team. That's, that's really good. Um, I am very good. I don't know why it's taking you two seasons and eight episodes <laughs> into this season to figure that out, but no. I'm glad to hear that you have the realization. I am the first to say you are the talent in this podcast. You are carrying us across the finish line, whatever line that is. You're so full of crap. <laughs> what else about episode eight? If there is a touchdown to be scored, a yes, field goal yes, to yes, be made, a yes, soccer yes. goal to be, it is you who does it. Someone's and I, laying it on a little thick today. I am Someone's a role laying player. Laying it on a little thick. I am. See, I'm even paid as a role player for this podcast, and you are paid as the star. Who of gets the paid? You get paid? I don't get paid. <laughs> Who's going Wait a minute. You mean there's money? <laughs> I don't have any money from this podcast. Who's paying you? We need to talk. I think I'm paying myself. <laughs> yeah, so the, just so that you feel good about it. Yeah. Um, is there more to talk about related to episode eight? Well, I, mean, how about, I know it was a long one, but... Well, how about the creative ways that management and leadership find to get their pet projects worked on for their benefit? Oh, gosh. I've had CEOs offer money on the side. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I've had people will be bribed. That's what I would call it. Um, or incented. I guess bribery is a harsh word, but incented with extra vacation time cash, uh, gift certificates. What else? I think those are the top three. I've yeah. seen all, and I, all of those yeah, bigger I've, bonuses. I've, I've had that experience too. Mm -hmm. Have you, have you ever been the one who was working on a pet project and mm -mm. your team didn't know? Mm -mm. No, I haven't. Have you? I have been. When yeah. you were using scrum? Yes. It Ooh, wasn't. A what happened? Tell. Well, okay. I'll tell you. So it wasn't a scrum project though, but it was, it took away some of my time from a team. So I was on a team, I was in a marketing department and someone else from another organization in the company was in another marketing department. And this person was at a, in the hierarchy, they were at a higher level than I was. I had some information about marketing strategy for our organization that they didn't have, my organization stopped working with them. And I thought it was a bad idea that they stopped working with them. And this person reached out to me to help the, help him craft a presentation and the wording and everything we wanted to influence the entire company about the direction for marketing. So I worked with him on the professional download for about three weeks, mm. just on this presentation and everything. and trying to get us into more of a creative digital space. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, I, it didn't impact my team. Um, I was a product owner on this team at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't have any development responsibility, but I was the person working on a project outside the team that was kind of secretive that an executive wanted me to work on and, and all that. When you say it didn't impact your team, are you sure? That's a good question. I don't completely know. Mm -hmm. From what I remember, I was always there at every team event. We didn't miss any sprint goals. 
because as a product owner, I was there to answer questions, give directions, prioritize. Well, not right. really give directions, but to give mm -hmm. direction, mm -hmm. prioritize, be available for questions. And I did that. And I'm pretty sure we didn't miss any sprint goals. I don't think. What would you have coached yourself to do now if you were to coach yourself in that scenario you just described? Oh, damn you, Coach Alicia. I would coach myself not to do that. I wouldn't allow myself to do it now. Even uh, though you just told me you didn't think it impacted your team. Yeah, I wouldn't do it now. Why? I think it's a little sneaky. Mm -hmm. I think, I'll be honest and say, I did it out of a little bit of um, insecurity. Mm -hmm. And even if it was now when I look back, even if it was successful, even if it was successful, if what I helped uh, this person put together and present and so forth, even if it was successful, I would not have felt proud that I participated in it. I would also offer, not that you asked. All right, probably, Coach Alicia. That it probably impacted the team more than you thought. Because you probably. Were, because when your capacity to collaborate was split mm -hmm. and you're multitasking. You're working on two different things and two different paths, two different topics at the same time. Mm -hmm. So no matter what, you had a diminished capacity if if just that, if for just that reason. I didn't realize this was going to be a coaching. <laughs> Should we end the episode here? <laughs> Should we just say, don't do that? Fuck, don't do. Well, I've often said, hey, I did X in the past. Don't do that. Right. I've been the manager, the scrum master and the coach or the lead transformation person. Don't do all that. That's yeah. a, that's not the way to set yourselves up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, you're right. Uh, don't do that. And, you know, I realize now, of course, this is almost 10 years later mm -hmm. that um, it was the wrong thing to do. And my engagement in it was for the wrong reasons. I feel like we should just end the episode right there. You well, said you were wrong. And I feel like, well, now we're, we're done with the episode. We There's really nothing more to say. Nathan was wrong. Well, I was wrong. And you are the star member of the podcast. Or, <laughs> there, there's one Nathan, more. I've made, how many times have I said, oh, I did this wrong. I screwed this up. I pushed the team this way. I didn't let the team self-organize. Yeah. All over the place. Well, there's one more thing we should mention before we close this episode. Okay. And that is the role of the scrum master. Oh, yeah. Um, in the broader organization. Because in right. this episode, the scrum master offers to go with the developer to mm -hmm. talk to the executives. Mm -hmm. And in that role, it's a great opportunity to talk about the scrum values, mm -hmm. the commitment the team made, help mm -hmm. frame the um, responsibilities and the collaboration of among the team and how those executives are to an extent destroying it. I also think it's a really good example of how the scrum master is there in a supportive role, yep. which is, hey, when it gets difficult as a scrum master, yes, I'll have those hard conversations with you. That's part of the role of a scrum master. That is. We call that servant leadership, but I think that's a real tactical example, sticky example of servant leadership where it is, I'm going to serve you by walking alongside you in this case. It's yeah, it, it was it was illustrated just wonderfully the author did a just wonderful job i wrote this one who wrote this one? <laughs> you didn't write this one. <laughs> i mean i don't know you might have but I, don't, I don't know either i get them confused now i don't know who wrote what no you wrote this one um, great, great work
music in our podcast is created by Gilpin Hill. That dude, now that dude is great. He can play some music. I'm telling you that. Mm-hmm. Chris Tolino, also known as Sweet Tony, also known as One Take Tony, is the voice actor on our podcast introduction this season. Chris also played the role of Manager One throughout the season. And Chris, we thank you for both. Special thanks to our friends Bay Hall, Lauren Harrison, Eric Harrison, Arnold Panjanaban, John Amaranjan, Margie Morse, Ryan Babbage, and Shrikanth Reddy, who were all script actors for the episodes in this season. If you are looking for exceptional Agile coaches, look no further than this collection of great people. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are available. We are Alicia, Yannick, and Nathan Chawilabuache, the Agile Twins. If you have questions, comments, or ideas, you can connect with us at transformationsimulation.com. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.